Welcome to the Crossroads Podcast. This week we're going to be diving into the grim and gritty world of uh, murder mysteries and crime noir. We're taking a look at a new release and a modern classic of the genre. Join us as we look at Batman and Zodiac. Welcome back to the Crossroads Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Rob. I'm your other host, Ryan. And as Ryan stated in the little prologue there, our first film's going to be 2007's Zodiac, directed by David Fincher, written by James Vanderbilt, and based on the novel by Robert Graysmith. The movie stars Jake Gyllenhaal, Robert Downey Jr., and Mark Ruffalo. And, and a I bunch also of heard, other people, too. A bunch of others, too. And I also heard Vin Diesel has an uncredited role. Uh, but I'm not I su- didn't notice him, but that wouldn't surprise me. I While watching it, I swore that I saw Bobcat Goldthwait, but I did not, sadly. Yeah, back when the Vin Diesel rumors were going on, it was he was like the Zodiac shadow for one of the scenes. <laughs> but they have all the different Zodiacs listed on here, and I don't yeah. see Vin Diesel. Yeah, they did have a number of different people play those parts, which was a nice touch. Um, I'd like just like... It's the shadow. I liked how much this movie played with light. Mm-hmm. Fincher's always great with light. He knows yeah. how to really make what he wants to pop pop, and then everything yes. else kind of just blend into the background to give it that realistic feel. Yes. One of my favorite films is Fight Club, not necessarily because of the subject matter, but just because of how it looks. Mm-hmm. It's just this, this gross, like mildewy kind of sticky thing. It's and not all of his films are like that. Yeah. Uh, Benjamin Button is very bright and colorful. Uh, Alien, Alien 3 is very brown. We Man, don't call it. <laughs> but Social Network's very bright and everything yeah. pops. Gone Girl's pretty bright despite the dark subject matter. Yeah. He's a very versatile filmmaker. I, I remember hearing an interview with Quentin Tarantino probably like 10 years ago. Where he criticized uh, Fincher for not really having much of a voice, but being a very skilled craftsman. And I kind of have to disagree. I just think he's not the singular Tarantino voice. Yeah, like, Fincher has a very distinct style, and a lot of modern filmmakers, especially in the crime noir genre, kind of mimic him. And Yes. Um, a lot of the movies that pop in my head are really dark detective thrillers. Like, Prisoners, I, it feels like it could be a Fincher movie. And, oh um, yeah, Mindhunter. Mm-hmm. Fincher produced that, so I think he directed one or two of the first episodes. Yeah, I think he did the pilot, but even still, the rest of the thing, the rest of the series, feels like he did it. Yeah, I mean, a lot of times if you direct, you know, the the first episode or first couple episodes of a TV show, you're really setting the style for the mm-hmm. rest of the show. And especially yeah. if he's producing, because yeah. he, he's probably got to approve everything. Yes, you're not really going to like, uh, you know. Except if you're trying to like really make a point, you're you're very rarely going to deviate heavily from the the set style yes. of the show. Um, but so 2007 Zodiac follows the real life murders of the Zodiac killer, not so much the serial killer, but the detectives and policemen and newspapers trying to figure out who he is. So. There's yes. not a whole lot of action in this, but it's a very tense movie and. Uh, character drama yes it's it takes place over the course of 
several years, I uh, think at ten, least a decade. Yeah, maybe quite 12. a bit of time. And some of the characters are played by different actors, but most of them aren't. Uh, so you just kind of get to see them age. And uh, this was fairly early in Jake Gyllenhaal's career. So he, I mean, he had done a couple things, but he still has that baby face. And yeah. it's kind of funny to see him play someone so much older. Yeah, I remember when this movie came out. I, I didn't say it until a couple years after it came out, but I was a big fan of Jake Gyllenhaal because of Donnie Darko in high school. And then going back to rewatch Zodiac now, I didn't realize how young he was in this movie. Like, yeah. I always think Jake Gyllenhaal's older than he is. Yeah, he's, um, I mean, he's 40 now, so he... His so. character is older than him in a, in a fair bit of the film because of how long that time period is. Yeah. Uh, and he just kind of has a bit of a baby face to begin with. That is true. And, like, the makeup artist on this movie is fantastic. Like, yes. It's, it, it, it has to be in order to make yeah. these people convincingly look like they've aged over all that time. Plus, in the 60s and 70s, which the style just looks very different from yeah. today each decade has a very distinct style and fincher yeah. did a really good job of enunciating that like in yes. the beginning there's a lot of yellows and mm-hmm. bright colors for the 60s and then in, once you get more towards the 80s it's kind of dark and dreary yes and it totally matches the the feel of the the story as well so there's not a whole lot to talk about with this movie from a plot standpoint because the, half the fun of watching it is the twists and turns. Yes. But as far as production goes, this is a top tier movie. Like the the script flows, mm-hmm. the pacing's great. Um, Fincher's a fantastic director. He's so meticulous in everything he does. Yes, I remember. Um, after he did Fight Club, he said he never wanted to make another movie where he just gets to like spend his time watching trucks get loaded and unloaded. I'm like, but look at Zodiac. I mean, I don't think there's a scene that's longer than like four minutes in this movie, but it flows. Yeah. It's just like constant. Um, he, he knows how to make a movie that feels very disparate flow tremendously well. Yes. He's all about pacing. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, especially in this era of Fincher's career, he was doing these long, like two and a half hour movies. Zodiac's close to three hours, by the way. Yeah. And... He's doing these long, dark, and gritty movies that just kind of wear you down mentally because of how yes. dark they are. But he does them at such a pace where it doesn't feel like two and a half hours. No, it's. I mean, this is um, this is even shorter than uh, his next film, Benjamin Button, which is just shy of uh, of three, three hours. hours. I mean, he he made these very long films, and uh, he has a lot to say sometimes. <laughs> Um, the only thing I, I would not stand up for from him, aside from uh, Alien 3, for obvious reasons, is uh, I don't think that his version of um, The Girl with the Dragon Tattoo really needs to exist. I disagree. I think it's very good, but I, was, I don't think it needs to exist. I was looking through all of because Fincher is just such a diverse filmmaker when you really get down to it. Mm-hmm. He can really do anything if you give yeah. him a good script. Yeah. I, I, mean, and... I, feel, yeah, I think Fight Club still really holds up. Yeah, Fight Club's uh, even, great. I think Benjamin Button is his best movie from a filmmaker standpoint. Yeah. But I, my favorite by him's got to be Dragon Tattoo or Social Network. See, I go to more for his gritty stuff, which is kind of funny because I think the game is really good. I always forget he does the game. Yeah, the game the game's is such awesome. A, yeah. It's uh, it's much more in line with the seven, at least like in terms of visuals, if not yeah. thematic, because it's definitely a very it's a very dark comedy. 
Another thing about Fincher is his use of CGI. It's not in your face. Yeah. He only uses it in the background to really make the scenes feel more realistic and alive. Yeah. There's a lot of CGI in his films, and you'd never notice because they're all, like, he'll, you know, uh, take a one take of one actor from one scene and then take a different take from a different actor from that same scene and put the reactions together because yes. it works better. There's a couple of scenes like that in Fight Club mm-hmm. where, like, reaction from Brad Pitt in Take 7 was better, but Edward Norton's reaction in Take 9 was better. So put them together and it flows. Yes. And I think that's, you know, maybe it's cheating a little bit, but if your final product is really good and you know why not this is turning into the uh let's pray <laughs> the Fincher show <laughs> um which, which I mean... is like it's hard to not do because <laughs> yeah. all his movies are great and zodiac is it's a pretty paint by numbers cop movie yeah but, it's but he makes it good and interesting yeah from from a filmmaker standpoint it's very good yes, and it's unfortunately and yeah unfortunately we're an audio-based podcast yeah. but if we had like visuals up i'd show you trailers and clips and whatnot yeah. but um let's talk about robert downey jr and mark ruffalo yeah. they're kind of stepping out of their normal roles especially at this point because at this point they were both in the mcu so mm-hmm. um yeah robert downey's right going before, back to yeah. like his roots with gothica was shortly mm-hmm. before this and yeah just seeing him act in anything that's not Iron Man is just refreshing. Because he's yeah. a fantastic actor. He's great. And this was um, right before he he exploded. like right Because um, he, had, he had been successful for a while and then disappeared because he got into drugs and all this stuff. And then uh, right around now, he came back and just hit a career re- like res- a resuscitation that we really haven't seen from anyone else since. Yes. What year was Iron Man? 2008? So yeah, this was his last drama, let's say, before he exploded again. Yes. Because Iron Man just shot him off the face of the earth, literally and figuratively. (laughs) Um, Yes. That and Tropic Thunder, and then, you know, he did his Sherlock Holmes, which I didn't love, but I think he's good in it. (laughs) Yeah, and he's just, you know, been... Hitting out of the park pretty much ever since. Mostly as Tony Stark, but not mm-hmm. always, you know. He's, I feel like he, in movies that aren't Marvel, which have kind of been few and far between with him, he just kind of gets typecast as that playboy asshole. Yeah, which he's not, he is a little bit in this, but he's not really, and he gets most of the funny lines. Mm-hmm. He delivers them well, too. Yeah. So I wonder how much of that was improv, but I don't think Fincher would have any improv. I don't know, because... Uh, Downey Jr. definitely does improv a lot if given the opportunity. I think yeah. he get, really gets into his characters' heads and kind of knows how to make it work. Based on interviews, though, I hear Fincher is a stickler for the script. Oh, absolutely. Like, uh, the opening scene of Social Network is a three-camera setup on two actors, and they shot it 99 times. 99? Why don't just go 99. for the full hundred at that point? He didn't need to. He got what he needed. <laughs> he got what he wanted in take 99. You couldn't just do one for safety? No, I don't. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. I was also off topic again, but I was listening to the commentary for Social Network, and there's the final scene they shot, Fincher like had to leave. I think he has a thing where he won't shoot the final scene. He thinks it's bad luck. So he had a producer do it, and they got it in, t- <laughs> they got it in two takes. But nice. the producer was like, let's do another ten, because David will kill me. <laughs> so that, that sounds very much like him. Little Little... 
Fincher insight yeah, there. That but that's why he's so good. He's so yeah. meticulous, and all these movies feel like they could be real. Even something as outlandish as Fight Club or yeah. outlandish as Benjamin Button feel like they could actually happen because of how much detail he puts into it. That's really all I have to say about Zodiac yeah. before getting into another Fincher <laughs> rat. Um, yeah. It's a great movie that, unfortunately, it's hard to talk about without it right in front of you. Yeah. But I do highly recommend it for people who haven't seen it. It's on Netflix. Blu-ray's not too hard to find. Yeah. It's uh, definitely worth the price of admission for visuals alone. Yeah. And it's just it's a lot of fun. So let's take a little break, a little music break, and we'll come back with The Batman. Welcome back to the Crossroads Podcast. For the second half of this crime noir themed episode, we're taking a look at Matt Reeves' new release, The Batman. Um, written by Matt Reeves, Peter Craig, and based on the comics by Bill Finger and Bob Kane. Yeah, I've been getting really into comics lately, but it's all horror comics. Like I, the only superhero one I've read, or close to superhero, is one called uh, No Holds Barred. It's about what if William Shakespeare was a Batman character? Interesting. Yeah. All of his lines are iambic pentameter. It's fun. That's unrelated yeah. to anything. I just, you know. <laughs> it's, uh... The Batman stars Robert Pattinson, Zoe Kravitz, Jeffrey Wright, Colin Farrell, Paul Dano. I'm going to say it because he's on the page. John Totoro, Andy Serkis, Peter Sarsgaard, and a handful of other lesser known actors. And Colin Farrell. Did you say I Colin did Farrell? say Colin Farrell. Okay. Because he's... He's amazing. Uh, yeah, he's uh, under heavy makeup, and I didn't. If I didn't know it was him, I would never would have guessed. Yes. Um, before we talk about Colin Farrell, though, let's let's ease into that because we got a lot to say yeah. about him. Yes. Um, the plot is similar to Zodiac, where mm-hmm. um, there's a serial killer on the loose sending ciphers and riddles to the Gotham City Police Department, and Batman intervenes to help figure out who it is before it gets out of hand. And from that, a spiraling web of corruption within the city of Gotham begins to unfold. There's there's a lot of uh, similar things. We didn't really talk about the ciphers too much in the Zodiac discussion, but there's a bunch of those, and there's a bunch of them in uh, in Batman, and they get used in really creative ways. Yes, they start as like symbols to, to decode the symbols, and then they become more video riddles and almost Saw-esque traps. But we don't see any of those on screen because the movie is yeah. PG-13. There's some really interesting takes on riddles. They're not the kind of cheesy riddles like in Batman for or Was it Batman Forever? Yes. Um, as far as villains go, there's two major ones and then a couple lower tier. Like, we get a few street grunts that he beats up. We get the Penguin and the Riddler. And then a mysterious yes. cameo at the end. Yes, and Catwoman is kind of a villain, but not she's really. She's more, she's like Batman. She's looking out for herself. Yeah. She's a vigilante. And she was never yes. really a villain. She's just like a, a robber. She's a burglar. And yes. like when movies portray her as a villain, it's always kind of weird. 
Like, they yeah. have her working for someone, and that just doesn't happen. No, she's very independent in a lot of respects. Like, she'll team up with people, but she also clearly has a thing for Batman in a lot of the stories. And... In one of the most recent comments, I think it was Batman 1000, they get married. We were discussing this before the show, and I definitely like this movie a lot more than you, Ryan. Yes, I had... Uh, well. I was talking about this with you uh, before we started recording. I had a very negative theater experience. Uh, it was by far the fullest theater I've been in since theaters reopened. Um, and the guy next to me just kept getting up. He must have gotten up five or six times. And I did not like that. That would pull me right out of the movie. It kind of did. And I honestly think that's why you didn't enjoy it as much as I did. Because... Mm-hmm. From the opening shot, I was sucked into this world. I couldn't look away, and I just I feel like the world and city that Matt Reeves created it feels very alive, and it could feel like any city USA with an extra layer of grime on it. Yes, I did think visually it works really well. I liked a lot of the aerial shots of the city, mm-hmm. um, like the city. There's a, the, the city itself is a character. The way they shot it. Yes, there's. I don't want to get into spoilers too much, but there's a. There's a really good, like, near the beginning aerial shot and then one towards the end that matches it in a lot of respects. Yes, it's a per- and, great bookend. And it's also... Yes. It's bookended with the similar shots, like, before and after the events of the movie happen and before and after monologue from Batman. To me, it felt very classic crime noir. Yes. I, I wish that they had kept more of that narration. I think narration can work if you commit to it. But one of my biggest pet peeves is when a film just has, you know, two minutes of narration at the beginning and at the end. And I just feel like either use it or don't. I used to think that, but one of my film professors said if you're going to use narration, use it one of three ways. Number one, don't use it at all. Number two, (laughs) bookends, beginning and end. Or three, all the way throughout. Never do just one narration because it just feels out of place. I think Fight Club uses narration, like, perfectly. Yes. But ever since my professor brought that up, I've paid more attention to narration in films. So the book ending doesn't really bother me as much as it used to. One thing I really did like about this movie is that Batman is truly a detective here. Yes. He goes back to classic Batman. When he first started in the 30s, he was literally the world's greatest detective. He would just solve crimes and have, he, he would barely fight like the goofy villains. It was very cheesy yeah. in the 30s. Yeah, DC... I'm not sure if it still does, but it used to stand for Detective Comics. And from what I understand, Batman was one of several detectives that they had. He just happened to be the, yeah. the one that really took hold. Also, at the same time, they had Action Comics, which was mainly yeah. Superman. So they had a bunch of different genre comics. <laughs> and Batman was the leading detective comic. Batman was never as dark and gritty as modern audiences know him for until the mid-80s when Frank Miller released The Dark Knight Returns. Yes. So this... Yeah, that's... So Matt Reeves kind of blended the two genres together, the dark and gritty crime fighter with the classic detective. And personally, I thought it worked out really well. I just... I have this thing where when stuff tries to be too gritty, it kind of flips back around and becomes hilarious to me. Mm -hmm. And it's a really... uh, it's a really narrow line to walk. I think um, the Lego Batman honestly does that really well, where you're laughing at Batman, not with him, really, with uh, Will Arnett's yes. 
um, you know, really grizzled voice. I will say Lego Batman is still my favorite Batman movie. <laughs> Lego Batman is so good. They got the same actress to play Catwoman in this They one. sure did. It's fantastic. <laughs> it's canon. Yes. Yes. Uh, Zoe Kravitz was the voice of Catwoman in Lego Batman. I just think that's hilarious. It's awesome. I love it. She this. also auditioned um, for Catwoman in uh, Dark Knight Rises. Really? Yeah. I think she would have been too young at that point. I think she's a phenomenal Catwoman. In she's this. awesome. Um, she's my second favorite part of this movie. Yeah, she's she plays Catwoman with this, uh, this warmth and vulnerability you rarely get from the character. Yeah. Uh, she's a bit less... Um, villainous, which I liked. She's, I I like that portrayal of her being less of a villain because in Rises and Batman Returns, Catwoman mm. is made out to be a a villain and who yeah. fights Batman, where it's just not like that. I don't want to like go through each mm. actor, but we do really need to talk about Colin Farrell. Yes, he is buried under so much makeup uh, you were saying off mic that it was like 19 hours in the makeup yeah chair. apparently every shooting day which for colin farrell probably i'm gonna say minimum three days 19 yeah, i hours. would say a lot more than that probably but yeah i you would say that but a lot of his scenes are in the same locations true but he sat in the makeup chair for roughly 19 hours per day because he's just Which loaded in crazy. latex and makeup, yeah. and he doesn't even look like Colin Farrell. I honestly wish no. they didn't release the casting before the movie. Yes, I mean that would have leaked eventually, but he is so good in that that I totally forgot that it. Or I, I think actually I knew going in that it was Colin Farrell, but he doesn't move or talk like himself yes. at all. He does a really and, good Italian accent too. Yes. I think people forget from the personality and he, you know, he kind of got himself into some trouble in the early 2000s just for kind of, you know, living large, mm-hmm. uh, but he's a really good actor. Yes. And Everything I've seen him in, he's that. just phenomenal and seems very genuine too. Yeah. You know, I think he, you know, he has a couple kids now and he's, you know, really kind of settled down and really like honing his craft and just doing the work. Mm-hmm. And, you know, no one's going to take a role that, requires 19 hours of makeup if they can't find something interesting to do with it and i think he really does he finds a great place to play with it yes and he's really really good and one more person we need to talk about is robert pattinson uh, yes. he's apart from twilight which i know i know you can't talk about robert pattinson without twilight <laughs> um, he's a fantastic actor like from harry yeah. potter to good time to high life he's always great and as batman i think he really put it all on the line there that's just the kind of thing that he's been doing ever since then is he tries to go in really interesting not necessarily darker because not everything he's done has been darker but really interesting challenging roles and i think he takes that into this as well he did the daniel radcliffe thing where he put in the years for twilight in Radcliffe's case, Harry Potter. He's yeah. got out, got all the money he needs, and now he's just doing yes. vanity projects. Yeah. You know, he can do whatever the heck he wants. He doesn't need to work to survive. And I'm sure he got a nice, healthy paycheck on this oh, as for well. Sure. Um, this is the you know, probably... biggest movie since Spider-Man, which it's yeah. only been a couple weeks. So <laughs> <laughs> His accent never drops, never slips in this one, which I think is really... He doesn't speak a ton, and when he does, he speaks very quietly. Yeah, and he does a really good grizzled Batman voice. 
Yes. It's not like forced like Christian Bale's was. It just it's gruff. It's an interesting take. I don't think it necessarily works all the way through. Like when he's not in the cowl, he kind of looks like Gerard Way from the early two thousands, which is a choice. I agree that it's a little goofy, but you got to think about the character. He's really broken over the death of That's his true. family, and he's got no one except Alfred, who he he's not a dad. He's the bodyguard, and he just feels alone. So it makes sense, and. Yes. Uh, touching on the character again, too. This takes place only two years into Batman's career. So he's still learning. He's not the world's greatest detective yet. He mm-hmm. makes mistakes. He sees repercussions for his actions and his brutality. And, you know, he learns from it. And by the end of the movie, he has a full-fledged character arc, which is something that hasn't really been done in Batman before. Yes. Movie-wise, I- anyway. I know that part of the mystery was what happened to Batman's parents. I just felt that the answer wasn't satisfactory and it could have been handled better in an origin story, which is funny because I tend to hate origin stories. I always like origin stories, so what they did in this felt like a really rushed origin story. Yeah. Um, I, I'm not upset by it. I think it worked in context of the movie, but... I think it needed to be edited better throughout the film. Yes. Instead of just having like an info dump about... It was like two or three scenes of info dump about his parents. And if they just split that up, like take a scene, put it act one, act two, act three. And by the end you have a conclusion. I think it would have been better. Let the reveals sink in before you're changing them. Because it felt too quick. And it almost felt like someone was lying, but I wasn't sure who was lying. And I didn't like that. I'm trying not to get into like the specifics, yeah. but um, I just I didn't love this movie. Uh, it had a tendency to do things that I thought were a little goofy, um, like having uh, Peter Sarsgaard show up as this like serious DA, and that's like he's in one scene basically. And I think like some more setup with him would have been useful. Yeah. I really think that they should have done because one of the plans for this was to make. An HBO series. Yes. A miniseries. I think that might have been a better choice for the breadth of story they were trying to tell. I know they had plans to do a spinoff for Gotham PD, but that actually just got canned today. And I think they're moving more towards an Arkham-based series because they want to have more established characters instead of original, which, honestly, it's stupid. Give me a Gotham cop show. Yes, I think it has a lot to do with the fact that Matt Reeves just isn't interested in doing that. Yeah, which I mean, I can't blame him. He's a, you know, he's a definitely a a, a film director, yes. and he's worked in a number of different fields. I mean, he made Cloverfield, which is a movie that I actually really like. I really like Cloverfield. Um, I even like his remake of Let the Right One In, mm-hmm. uh, which I don't normally like remakes that you know don't really try to change up too much, yeah. but. It's, I think it handles a lot of the emotion better than the Swedish film. Figure, I mean, you know, go figure. <laughs> yeah. I think, you know, I'm not saying that they're cold, emotionless people at all, but I think that there's just different, emotionally different. Yeah. And I think I relate better to an American emotional feeling than I would a Swedish yes, one. Yes, I do agree um, with that. Um, yeah. He also did the new Planet of the Apes movies, which all three yeah. were absolutely phenomenal. Yes. He only did two he and did three. He did two and three, I think, those yes. are the, I think those are the best ones. Agreed. Um, I mean, just the 
that's probably why Andy Circus is in this. But I mean, just the performance he was able to get out of Andy Circus is. Uh, yeah, Andy Circus typically so does mocap and CGI work. So seeing him outside of makeup is always jarring. Yeah. Oh yeah, and you forget how great an actor he is on his own mm-hmm. too. He hasn't done too much that I've seen out of uh, makeup or out of uh, motion capture, but he's always a tremendous presence. Yes. And honestly, Alfred's a tough role because you have to be authoritative and a little dangerous, but also subservient and warm. Yes. And, like, as far uh, as the, the lore for this movie goes, it's mm-hmm. implied that Alfred is teaching Batman pretty much everything he knows. So you got to have that tough exterior but also like you said you gotta be caring and warm and cater to what bruce wayne needs there's this great sequence in the in the beginning of the gotham show back when that was still kind of good where um a similar bruce to this is broken after Mm -hmm. the death of his parents and he's just like holding his hand over a candle to feel something Mm -hmm. and alfred just comes in and like smacks him like what the heck's wrong with you and then holds him really close and it just it's this great scene where you see how much Alfred truly loves Bruce and I just wish that he was in more of this movie yeah I I definitely feel like they cut a few storylines because this movie yeah. is two hours and 55 minutes they're not going to release a longer Batman movie mm-hmm. in theaters but if they put if they do like a four hour cut on Blu-ray I will watch that entire thing yeah there might it might even come out on a HBO at some point soon. If they did that with uh, the Justice League, it's it's possible. I really hope it is. Um, uh, one last thing I want to talk about: the Batmobile. It was so cool. Um, <laughs> it reminded me a lot of the one from the '89. Movie, yeah, honestly. it's like just comic booky enough to where it's mm-hmm. cool, but it's also so yeah. grounded in reality where it's like it has that uh, that single flame out of the back and that little nose. And the scene when it revs up and it's all dark apart from the engine. Oh my god, it's so sick. I love the Batmobile. Yes. Uh, There's also that that motorcycle, um, which... Maybe I don't... Maybe this didn't happen. Do I remember going up a wall? Am I thinking of something? I think you're thinking of something else. Okay. I don't know what I'm thinking of then. Um, Maybe you're thinking of the guy next to you getting up. (laughs) (laughs) I just hope, like, I was just worried that he, like, had, like, explosive diarrhea yeah. or something. Like, why come to the movie then? But I guess you probably bought his tickets in advance. I know, I yeah. bought my tickets like, in advance. You don't so. realize how long three hours can be. Yeah. Especially if it's the closest you've been to other humans, mm-hmm. like a large crowd of other people. In, yeah. you know, Luckily, my years. theater was, I went opening night, Thursday night, and my theater was nearly empty, actually. It was huh. Maybe, like, a third full, but everyone was Mine spread was- out packed every seat was full which is the opposite of a uh, studio 666 where there was yeah. no one in the theater um, but uh, i've said pretty much everything yeah. i can touch on but to wrap it up i absolutely loved batman i hope we get a, a bigger cut i kind of want to go see it in theaters again but it's gonna hit hbo in 40 days so um at time of recording that's mid-april so i can wait to save some money um oh the score is absolutely awesome yeah, I, the thing that struck me most was the, how they used um, something in the way by Nirvana mm-hmm. to great effect. They used it but, twice uh, in the movie, beginning and end, right? Yeah. Yes. 
I thought it was a little ridiculous that it was in there because I, you know, did not love this movie. Yeah. But um, I like I like that song a lot, even if the uh, chord progression sounds a lot more like Soundgarden than it does like Nirvana. Mm-hmm. They're they're all friends with each other. They're working in the same, you know, yeah. in the same uh, the same. Brian, are there any? Last um, thoughts you want to say? Uh, no. Um, I'll probably end up giving this another chance. It was not my favorite Batman, but uh, as I was joking with my girlfriend after seeing it, I've seen so many Batman movies, and this is still in the top half. Yeah. Even though I did not like this movie. There's tons of Batman movies, so... Yes. Yeah. I have seen more live-action Batman movies that were terrible than that were good. Yes. And I like this one because it takes back Batman back to his roots. Mm-hmm. All right. Thank you for joining us at the Crossroads. We'll see you next time.